Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar, Braving the Elements on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Comedy Central. My first guest tonight is a hockey legend by the name of Willie O'Ree. He integrated the sport of hockey by becoming the first black player to compete in the NHL in 1958, for which he will be awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. Making sports history in hockey as Jackie Robinson did in baseball, Willie O'Ree of the Boston Bruins, a native of Fredericton, New Brunswick, is the first Negro to play in the National Hockey League. In his first time out, his team won against the Montreal Canadiens. In the Bruins' dressing room after the game, Gord Sinclair Jr. of CFCF pressed through the crowd for this interview. It must be quite an exciting thing, isn't it, to get into an NHL game for the Boston Bruins. What do you feel about it, uh, Willie? Anything unusual? No, it was the greatest thrill of my life, I believe. I'll always remember this day. We'll always remember this day. Mr. Willie O'Ree, welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you very much. It certainly is a pleasure to be here. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. I mean, I'm talking to uh, a man who's a legend on so many counts. I mean, you, you, you're, you're a legend because of what you did for the sport of hockey. Uh, you're a legend because you were the first black player in the NHL. And for me, you are a legend because you are a black person who chose to play on the ice. I, I don't meet many black people who willingly go to the cold, Mr. O'Ree. So uh, you're, a re- you're a legend personally for me <laughs> as an African. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Thank you, sir. Um, let's talk a little bit about your journey. You know, it, it, it wasn't anything that anybody had done before. You, you know, you talk about this in your life and how uh, you had a dream. You said, I want to play in the NHL. I want to be a professional hockey player. Nobody had done it. Nobody thought anybody could do it. And yet you set your mind to it. I'd love to know how you, you had this idea of doing something that had never been done before with the clarity that you had. Well, when I was 14 years of age, I decided I wanted to become a professional hockey player and then hopefully one day in the, uh, play in the National Hockey League. And uh, I have to give credit to my older brother, who was not only my brother and my friend, but he was my mentor. And he taught me a lot of things that I would need to know. So I started playing organized hockey. Uh, and at 14, I uh, left my hometown to go up to uh, Quebec, Canada to play junior, junior hockey with the um, Quebec Frontenacs. Uh, played there that uh, one year, and then I went and played uh, in Kitchener, Ontario, the second year, and that's when I had uh, an unfortunate accident. You know, none of the players wore any helmets, no face shields, no cages, and um, I was struck in the right eye with a puck and lost 97% vision in my right eye. And wow. The, doc- the doctor told me I'd never play hockey again, but uh, I kept it a secret and um, turn- turned pro in 1956 and was able to play 21 years with one eye. Wait, 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 let's, okay. Now we, now we need to add an extra layer of legend to the story. You lost some of your vision and the doctor said that you were legally blind. You keep this a secret. 
and then you go on to play. I, I, don't, I don't even understand how that's possible. I can't follow the puck. I've been to hockey games. I love watching hockey games, but it's like, I can't follow the puck. But you're telling me you were a professional player who was legally blind. I don't understand how you did this. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> I, when I went to the hospital and um, I was in my recovery room and the doctor said, Mr. O'Ree says, you're going to be blind and you'll never play hockey again. Well, the two goals that I had set for myself, well, seemingly were gone. But I got out of the hospital, and um, within the next five uh, weeks, I'm back on the ice uh, practicing and playing. Now, I'm a left-hand shot and playing left wing, but to compensate, I, I had to turn my head all the way around to the right to pick the puck and pick the play up and look over my right shoulder. Wow. And, I, and consequently, I was overskating the puck and missing the net, and I just said, Willie, forget about what you can't see and concentrate on what you can see. So the season ends and uh, I go back to my hometown and I kept mm -hmm. my fingers crossed that I'd be contacted by a professional team. And uh, I waited and waited and finally I got a call from Punch Emlek, who was the coach and general manager of the Quebec Aces, the Quebec uh, professional team up in Quebec City. So to make a long story short, I go to training camp, I make the team, I don't tell them that I'm blind, I don't have a, an eye exam, so I says, <laughs> well, if I don't take an eye exam, just, just play. And, we won the championship that year, so that's what gave me the extra confidence that I needed. I said, <laughs> I said, oh man. I mean, that's yeah. If 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 anything qualifies somebody to be a legend, I, I think that 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 story makes it. Uh, um, let's talk about the sport itself. You know, you talked about back then what it was like being in in the league as the first and only black player. You you had teammates who supported you. You had fans who cheered for you. But there were also the fans who really could only think of the color of your skin as the reason that they didn't like you. You know, they were they were they were shouting slurs at you on the ice, or they were shouting slurs at you from from the stands. I'd love to know how you blocked out that noise. You know, I mean, that surely affects you as a human being, but you found a way to persevere. Was, was that something you had just grown up with in your family or did you put your head down and like, how did you do that? Well, I just put my head down. I was called the N-word uh, every time I stepped on the ice by players on the opposition, by fans in the stands. If I had a penalty and I went in the penalty box, I could hear them saying the N-word, but I just blocked it out. Thanks to my older brother, again, and he told me, Willie, if they can't accept you for the individual that you are, because you have the skills and the ability to play in the league at this particular time, he said, forget about everything else. He said, just go out, stay focused on your goal and work hard. And basically, that's what I did. But I mean, I, it, it, was, it was really rough at, at, the, at the beginning, Trevor, it, it really was. But finally, I gained the respect the, of the players and the, and the, and the fans. Man, I, can, I, I honestly can't even imagine how hard it must have been, you know, being in that world. Um, there, there are over 100 black players, you know, who have now played in the NHL. Many of them yeah. have either talked about your story or they've talked about your journey in some way inspiring them. But they've also talked about how difficult it can be being the only black player on a team, you know, the only black player who's representing a, a, a franchise. You know, were there any tips that you gave to any of these players or were there any tips that you learned that would help you not almost carry the entire burden of being the only black player on a team? You know, being able to fail for Willie or being able to succeed for Willie and not always worrying that it, you know, it, it represents all of blackness at the same time, which it did and didn't. Well, I met a lot of the black players and the players of color that are playing in the, in the league at the present time. And, you know, some of them that, that I have met, they said, Willie, I just can't imagine what you had to go through to make it possible 
for players like me to play in the league. He says, I just, I have the highest respect and the highest admiration for you. He said, what you, what you had to do, you must have had to turn your cheek a thousand times. And I said, I just stayed, I stayed focused on what I wanted to do. I, I worked hard and I, I told myself I'm good enough to play in the league and, uh, just, just work hard and, uh, stay confident. Let's talk a little bit about the future. You know, you, we're celebrating you and you've been celebrated for such a long time as being not just part of black history, but part of also the NHL's history. You have now been an ambassador for the uh, National Hockey League, getting black players into it, players of color. You know, kids who would have never thought that this could be their sport or maybe they wanted to get into it, but couldn't. It's an expensive sport to get into you. You know, your skates and, and, and all the equipment that you need to, to be part of, it sometimes becomes a bigger barrier than even the color of your skin. When you're, when you're meeting with new kids and you're, you're talking to these children who want to join in, how do you inspire them to get into a sport that sometimes might be just out of their reach? Well, we have, uh, we have uh, organized programs all over North America. And uh, when I first started, um, there were approximately five. We have about 36 now. And, and before the pandemic, I was traveling around to these cities and uh, uh, talking to the uh, elementary schools, middle schools, junior high, high schools, um, Boys and Girls Clubs, uh, YMYWCAs, juvenile detention facilities, to let them know that there is a sport that they can play if they want to. And uh, all you have to do is come to the rink and uh, we'll, we'll learn you how to skate. And uh, if, you, if you follow, we'll get you on an organized, an organized team where you're able to, uh, able to play. I mean, uh, hockey's a fun sport, and I, but I tell these kids, if you're not having fun, don't play it. Uh, find another sport. <laughs> but uh, I, can, I can honestly say that um, the clinics that I've conducted over the years, once I get these boys and girls on the ice, I've not had one boy or girl come up and say, ah, Mr. Ree, I, I don't like wow. this. I'm not coming back. So it, it's a nice feeling to reach out and, even, and just touch one individual and make a difference in their life. Well, that's why you are who you are. That's why you are receiving not just the medal, but uh, all the praise, and we celebrate you. Thank you so much, um, Mr. Willie O'Ree. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for what you've done, and uh, thank you for the joy that you've brought to the sport and to the world. We appreciate you. Jump into the epic world of Avatar The Last Airbender with Nickelodeon's official companion podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Listen to Avatar, Braving the Elements on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please welcome P.K. Subban. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Oh man, New York. This Back is so good, man. So good to have you. Like, you know, like, like sports stars always have like such a crazy schedule. It's so hard to get you on the show. Thank you for being here. You're a superstar. And congratulations, selected for the All-Star Game Thank again you. this weekend in Tampa. You excited? I'm extremely excited uh, to be captain two years in a row. I'm just very happy to be able to represent the city of Nashville again. And uh, I'm just, uh, I'm pumped, man. I'm pumped to be an all-star again. You, you have such a wild story. I mean, I know I didn't know much about your story before, you know, you were coming on the show. I knew about you as a player, but your story is one that really excites me. You got into hockey uh, in Canada, in Montreal, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> someone likes hockey or Canada or both. Um, <laughs> but what was really amazing to me is that your dad gets you into the game and you come from a Jamaican family. And for me, like, Jamaica and ice hockey... No, they don't... They don't mix. No, no. Like, how, why would your dad go like hockey? 
You know what? It's it's a good question because you know my dad moved from Jamaica when he was 12 years old, and um, that's where he grew up. Till he's 12, moved to Sudbury, Ontario, where he learned about the Sudbury Wolves, and he grew up in a French neighborhood. That's why me going to the Montreal Canadiens was right. such a big thing right. in my family because my dad grew up in a, a French neighborhood, and uh, that's where he learned about hockey for the first time, and uh, that was the first time he saw snow. You know, 12 years old, so. Um, growing up in, in Sudbury, uh, you know, watching the Montreal Canadiens, everybody was French, so he saw the kids playing in the neighborhood, and that's when he started to watch hockey and used to watch the Sudbury Wolves play. Right, and you, you went on to play for the Montreal Canadiens, which is not a very creative name, but, um, <laughs> I mean, it's very literal. Uh, <laughs> and, and you didn't just go on to play for them, man. They love you out there so much. I mean, you played for the team, you loved the team. Was that probably your biggest life ambition? Oh, man, just, you know, it was a dream as a kid. You know, you wanted to play in hockey, and it wasn't really until later on in my life where I knew it could be really a job. I just wanted to be like the guys on TV, right. you know, and uh, whether it was playing in the backyard and every... I got to give my... I have the best parents in the world, you know. My, my dad putting in backyard rinks, you know, every year, and, and I, I give him credit for that because my mom used to give him you know, crap all the time because the hydro bills would be so high from right, all right, the water yeah. that he'd be using to make the backyard rinks. But he stuck to the plan, and both of my parents together did made so many sacrifices just to give me the opportunity to play hockey. And never once did they ever mention the NHL, you know, for any of us, right. all three of us. Um, it just so happened that they gave us the opportunity to play, and we got better, and then it became an opportunity to, to make it a living, and, and we just chased our dreams. And now, you know, myself and Malcolm are playing in the NHL, and we're working on getting Jordan there hopefully soon. That's amazing. Yourself and your brothers all playing the same sport, all at a high level. I think what touches me about your story is not just that you're successful. It's that in many ways you mimic what your dad did for you, and it was selfless. You donated $10 million to a children's hospital. Did you, like, add a zero by mistake? I've done that. Because <laughs> I've done... You can tell me. You know, I get, I get that question a lot because it's one thing to donate and give back. It's another reason of, of to think another way to look at it is why $10 million, you know? And I think it comes down to everybody has their own personal life experiences. Um, you, know, you know, I went to Haiti with World Vision a year after when I was... I would have been 19 years old, 20 years old at the yeah. time. And I'm not from Haiti. I'm not Haitian. But I had an opportunity to go with World Vision at the time. And I went for three days, and it was a life-changing experience for me. But that wasn't it. I came back, and I got to know uh, a little boy named Alex Shapiro through my old uh, uh, minor hockey coach and still close friend and family friend, Martin Ross. And he coached him and um, got to know Alex very, very closely and his parents and his family and uh, was actually in touch with him until liter literally his last moment, moments before he passed away. And, um, you know, for me, that made me want to, to give back. Um, in a different way and really have a significant impact and not just give back, you know, where everyone could say, wow, that's great, but give back where I could actually make a difference. Right. And uh, when I was presented the opportunity to do something like this with the $10 million donation and to the hospital in Montreal, I, I didn't even think twice about it. Um, they came down the 401 to my house in Nobleton, Ontario, and they presented it to me and um, I signed the papers right there, and it was the perfect situation for me. And to this point, we've helped over probably 10,000 families and raised millions of dollars. So I'm very, very happy about that. That's a phenomenal story, man. You, 
you not only have love for Montreal, but you, you went through a trying time where you were unexpectedly traded from Montreal through to Nashville, to the Nashville Predators. And Montreal was your love. Montreal still is your heart. And you moved on to Nashville, and you always promised the people of Montreal that you would take the team to the Stanley Cup. And then after you were traded, you then took the Nashville Predators, and you were part of the team that went to the Stanley Cup. Was that one of the most bittersweet moments you experienced as a human being? Uh, the bitter part about it is that we, we didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well... Oh, but, you know, it was, it was a tremendous experience, and I, I have to speak about my teammates because, you know, I wouldn't have an opportunity to be in this position and, and to be an all-star uh, without them, and, and they've worked. I've never played with a greater group of guys than we have right now in that locker room, and um, I've never wanted to win so badly in my career because I think that everybody in that locker room deserves it, but they've, they've given me every opportunity to be successful, but we've given each other that opportunity, and I think that's why we ended up in the cup final last year, but what sucked about it was, yeah, we didn't win, and I didn't get an opportunity. That's all I could think about right. was when we got to that conference and we won the Western Conference Finals, I'm like, man, I'm going to have a chance to bring the cup back to that hospital. Right, like, right, right. And those kids, and, you know, because I remember their faces and how upset they were when I was traded, and I'm like, man, I got an opportunity to bring that cup back. That's going to be awesome. And then we lost. And, you know, it sucked, but we have an opportunity to do it this year. So I'm... You, you, yeah, you have... You have many opportunities, and it's not just in the field of sports. I think what's really, uh, I think, inspiring about your story is how you find opportunities to help others, because it's not just the kids in Montreal. Tell us a little bit about the program that you started in Nashville, where you get policemen to hang out and spend time with young, uh, previously disadvantaged or disadvantaged youths. You know what? And it's it's so important. One of my best friends is a cop and was actually just recently retired. Chris O'Sullivan was a cop in Boston. And, uh, you know, Chris has comes from a family of 12 brothers and sisters, used to play professional hockey, but has become one of my closest friends over the years. And we know how much there's been talk about in sports, especially with police officers and, and players have chosen to deal with it differently. I think that I was faced with a lot of questions coming out of training camp and you know, for me, I always look at everything and how can I make this a positive situation? Right. And um, I looked at it and I remember us having a meeting as a team before the season started talking about, you know, how we were going to handle it. And I, you know, I, I remember being up front. I said, listen, guys, I want to attack this in a way that is positive for the team and for the community. And um, listen, also, my, my best friend had an influence on me as well. And um, you know, I know what he's done for so many people and his friends have done. And um, I know that in the community of Nashville, I wasn't going to have the opportunity maybe to donate $10 million to him again, but right. maybe do something that was just impactful in, in a different way. And starting this program has been, uh, it's been amazing. It's had the, the same impact that, you know, my foundation has had in Montreal in, in a little bit of a different way. And the kids... I mean, I, I wish you could be there to see the look on the kids' faces when it's their first time going to a hockey game, their first time pretty much doing anything that really they can think of in a positive way. And to have, to have police officers there to, to do it with them, it's, it's right. just been great. So, so you have these kids who meet up with a police officer, they come to the game, you get them tickets, you, you buy them dinner, they hang out together. I, I, I would like to understand why you thought 
that that would be something you'd want to do. Everyone tackles it in a different way, but why that? Why the kids with the police officers? Well, first of all, I think that I have, like I said, friends that work in law enforcement, and I think that we need to celebrate the good that they do as well, and I think that the children, for these kids that are underprivileged that don't get an opportunity to go to a game, you know, why not? I know that I have the opportunity to purchase four tickets right. to a home game 41 times. Um, who sits in those seats, that's up to me. And I chose to have two underprivileged children that don't have the opportunity and two police officers that have the opportunity now to mingle with underprivileged kids who maybe have only ever seen cops right, in a bad right, light. Right. But now they're at a Preds game, which they've never been to. They get to eat some great food, right, in the Patron Lounge. That's a shout-out to Patron. They don't sponsor me, but I know that's where they get the food. Uh, they, get, they get some great dinner, and they get to meet the players after the game, and they get to meet me. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but they get to meet me, and, and it's celebratory. And I think the biggest thing that I've taken from this program so far was an email that I got from one of the officers who took it upon himself to stay in touch with the, the child after the game. I right. said, I'm going to stay in touch with this kid. We're going to go to many more games because I got season tickets and right, so on and right, so right. forth. We have the email, and it was one of the best things. It was the best feeling that I've ever had since the program started because that's right. what it's all about. So it's all about building bridges, and I think that that's what this program has done. You're an, uh, you're an amazing man, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Explore more shows from The Daily Show podcast universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.